Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers is a bi-weekly podcast presented by Partners in Promise. Partners in Promise is a nonprofit dedicated to protecting the rights of military children in special education. Large organizations like the military have learned to love the status quo. But at Partners in Promise, we believe in being disruptive as we have learned that having easy conversations rarely leads to real change in special education or in the military. We are storytellers who aren't afraid to get a little disruptive. Are you a military change maker who wants to hear more disruptive stories? Consider sponsoring an episode of Disruptive Storytelling, and together we can work to combat stigma within the military. For more information, email info at partnersinpromise.org and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I am your host, Jennifer Barnhill. Thank you so much for joining us on Disruptive Storytelling. This season of the podcast, we are focusing on data. I know that sounds really exciting for all the fellow data nerds out there, but um, this series is really exciting because we know how important data is to military families and the change that can happen that positively affects our lives. So I am really excited today to have two amazing women and, and data lovers join us today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. First, we have a Jennifer Aiken out of, from Blue Star Families. Hey, Jenny, how's it going? Going well. Thank you for having us, Jennifer. Uh, my name is Jenny Aiken. I am the co-director of applied research here at Blue Star Families, and I oversee our social impact research and policy research portfolio. And I'm excited to have my co-principal investigator on this project, uh, Rosie Mowry from the IVMF. Yeah, so thank you for, for having us and, and thank you for all for joining us today. Yes, so I am with the Institute for Veterans and Military Families at Syracuse University. It's a mouthful. I'm the Director of Applied Research there, have been there for several years now, partner with Blue Star Families. Um, well, we partnered, we have partnered on this effort, but we've been partnering for a number of years on various research efforts. I do focus predominantly on the economic opportunities and economic stability. So my research, personal research, does focus a lot on the employment landscape for, for both veterans, but specifically for military spouses. So I'll keep it with that. Yeah. Well, thank you both for joining. Um, we are going to talk a couple times with Blue Star Families, as as you may or may not know, they're, you know, in this you might have seen their surveys. They're all over the place with trying to just have a finger on the pulse of our community so that we can better help and assist. And today we're actually going to talk about a report that is recently released, Understanding the Diverse Experiences of Military and Veteran Families of Color. And this is a um, you know, fairly new topic for you, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Jenny, is this a brand new topic or has, how did you come to this, uh, this report and, and even going into this area? That's a great question. Um, thank you, Jennifer. So here at Blue Star Families, what we started to see um, after the murder of George Floyd in uh, the summer of 2020 was as we started looking at our own data, including a pulse poll that we ran at the time, was that our military and veteran families of color were really having a very different experience of the pandemic 
than our white non-Hispanic military spouses. And we started pulling that thread and we just started finding more and more in previous data and knew that we needed to look into it. And at, generally at Blue Star Families, we actually launched a whole initiative, a racial equity and inclusion initiative. And the research is just one part of that. But the mission of that initiative is to really improve the service experiences of military connected families of color to strengthen our total force. And so our research is there to, to inform that initiative. And it's the first of its kind comprehensive needs assessment of military and veteran families of color. We have asked questions that nobody has ever asked before. And we found some things that will shock you and some things that will give you hope. And regardless of where you're coming to um, on this work, we hope that you'll find something here to, to help you in your own work or that will validate your experience. And so we'll only be able to talk about a few things today, but yeah, it's hard. It's so hard to talk data on a podcast. So yeah. <laughs> check out the report. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Jenny, thanks for that intro of, of the why, I guess. So with surveys and with information, we want to hear about like sometimes the how, but you know, I know that you surveyed families and then we want to, most importantly, the most exciting part is, is what did you find? And so we'll just kind of allow the survey reports to speak for themselves as to the, the methodologies and all of the stuff that went into this, but what was, what were some of the key findings? So the first thing we really started to realize as we got into focus groups was that military families of color were sitting around the dinner table at night and making decisions based on perceptions of real or perceived racism in communities. And those decisions were collectively undermining the military's efforts to retain service members of color. And when we started to dig into what those decisions looked like for these families, we really saw that it looked like leaving service. It looked like ranking your installation preferences differently. And when we asked, you know, where do you not feel like going? We had uh, more than twice uh, as many active duty family respondents who told us they were not at all comfortable being stationed in the Midwest, Alaska, or the South compared to other regions in the United States. Of course, you can't necessarily boil that down to fill in your racial or ethnic group does not feel comfortable in filling your U.S. region because we also looked at where veterans reside. And of course, they do choose to reside. And those demographics mirror the broader U.S. population where you've got the most you know, Black veterans live in the South and along the Eastern Seaboard. Most Asian and Hispanic veterans live in the West and the Midwest. So it's not as simple as it, as it could be. But this really does have pretty, pretty negative outcomes for military families because it, it translates into real action. We had 30% of our active duty family respondents. And I would say that this survey went, by the way, just to military families of color. <laughs> so when I say respondents, I mean, they had at least one racial or ethnic identity other than white, but you know, one in three turning down orders, knowing that that was gonna negatively affect their career. And when we asked why they turned down orders, it was to stabilize their family, low quality of life in the area, but racism in the local community was the number three reason they cited. And so, you know, these really are decisions that families are making right now. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like, you know, perception and, and I, as people may or may not have heard on our last episode, we talked about our findings and, and the title of our 
survey report is the real perceived and unknown barriers to accessing a free and appropriate public education. It's the perception of an outcome, a negative consequence, which also ties into the stigma series that we did. It, when you try to avoid an, a looming consequence and how that impacts your decision-making. That's fascinating. <laughs> I'm just nerding out here, but I mean, fascinating, but also terrible. And so, you know, was there any, um, any next steps or anything that you learned from that decision-making process that would be, you know, pointed towards the solution? Yeah, so we are going to be releasing quite a few recommendations for how everybody can kind of navigate this together because it is not going to be the military that fixes it. It's not going to be communities on their own that fix it. It's not going to be the military and veteran serving nonprofit space. This has got to be all of us. And so it starts at the smallest common denominator. <laughs> Frankly, it, it starts with the individual and it starts with individuals really starting to listen to their, um, their colleagues and their peers, be it in your, in their units or in their spouse groups, um, and out in their community. Um, when we asked, like, how would you want somebody to be a good ally, to use that term ally, the, the number one thing was, if you see something, say something. You know, if, if you see me being, you know, somebody using a racial slur around me, please stand up for me. Learn more about my experience. We had an overwhelming desire for just open dialogue about some of these issues. So that's one thing that come out, can come out of this that we can all do. And of course, we are asking um, the military to look at some additional reforms, looking at maybe communities where the civilian population may be less diverse, which means you may have less diverse healthcare providers and schools and those sorts of things. Like those are really the installations that could use some additional supports, surging assets there, making sure that culturally competent care is available on the installation, um, those types of things. And of course, our communities were really hoping to engage in this work as well. Absolutely. And I know, uh, Rosalinda, we chatted a little bit before we started recording that there were also some implications uh, for employment, which obviously when we think about locations, that's a huge issue for military spouses. And so, you know, how those items overlap, how the availability of employment um, that and how the per does there have any overlap with that perception you know, what did you find? You know, I, I don't want to even begin to speculate because I'm just interested to know what did you, what did you find? No. And I think a, a big contributing component, I think to the economic stability, to the financial stability of the family, and certainly to the decision-making that Jenny had talked about is, is really that military spouse employment landscape, you know, and we've been looking at unemployment trends and earnings really for several years, honestly, for decades, you know, and, and what we find, and again, no surprise, is that unemployment rates are consistently high and earnings are consistently low or low. Sorry about that. But what we did with this particular research is really look focusing on the military spouses of color and found that their financial impacts are actually greater. So in general, uh, not to geek out a little bit, but I'll geek out just a little bit. You know, we did um, use multiple data sources kind of to, to kind of show and demonstrate our findings. One, for example, is actually from the Census uh, American Community Survey. And we were looking at earnings in that one. We also looked at DOD data, look at unemployment data. We looked at our own research from MFLS and looked at some of that. But overall, there's a 
this that at any given time, in particular, active duty military spouses can be up to two to four times higher in unemployment compared to their non-military peers. Active duty military spouses of color, though, have higher unemployment rates. And again, I'm using DOD's data for this one. Now let's just talk about earnings, right? And again, I, I did rely predominantly on census. And so we found that military spouses on average earn about 37% less than the total population. What's interesting is that, and again, we've been doing this research for decades. We did this research back in 2013. And what was interesting is that the earning difference was still 37%. So since 2013 to 2019, it really hasn't changed. There's been this consistent underemployment issue. But what's a little bit unique here in this study is that we were really focusing on the military families of color. And when we looked at their earning differences, we found that Black military spouses earn about 54% less than the total, and Hispanic Latina military spouses earn about 66% less than the total. I mean, those are really almost double digits and significantly greater impacts, for sure, compared to their relative peers. So, you know, I want to ask something that maybe speaks more towards the recommendation side of the house. So obviously we, there's so many more findings. I know you had, we can, and we should list a couple of them to tease uh, your, your full report, but I would love to know based on the things we have talked about, what are some concrete recommendations, not just for the individual, because I know that you, and that, that is true. You know, what would you like to see change and in, in the big picture? Um, cause obviously the how is, is, it all starts with one person, right? Of course. And so there's, you can't discount that, but if you were to see something change on the big picture, the landscape, what would that be? I mean, I can speak for employment and I'll let Jenny add to that, but I think, you know, in terms of the recommendation, it's, it's obviously going to be, it's going to have to be many solutions, not just one solution, right? And focusing on military families of color is going to be part of that solution. We know in terms of earnings, there, there's definitely an earning differences between military spouses and their civilian peers. That is known. But the recommendations are going to be doing more, you know, initiative and efforts, focusing on military families of color, offering more mentoring opportunities in particular. I think part of the issue issue is getting a job. And that is absolutely still an issue because you have high unemployment rates. But the other aspect of that is in that job or having a career. So there's going to be retention discussions that need to be focused on. There's going to be many things. And again, it's not for any one entity, it's going to have to be DOD, it's going to have to be private sector, it's going to have to be a number of different stakeholders to really be solutions to this, uh, to this problem. I would venture to say also, Rosie, that any organization listening to this who runs a military spouse employment program, look at your outcomes for your participants who come from a white, non-Hispanic background compared to the other backgrounds. And just make sure that you're serving everybody equally and that you're seeing similar outcomes. I think that has not been a big piece of the conversation, but, it, but it's absolutely an important one as well. Absolutely. I think data is so important to this conversation. I think we won't know how to fix the problems that are faced by families without understanding them fully. And we can't always rely on anecdotal information. And so that's why, you know, the work that you all do and, and hopefully, you know, our whole space, we together bring a lot of data to the table for decision makers. So, you know, we talked about some big percentages earning 37% less. That's a huge number. You know, we talked about just how our decisions are 
decision-making process changes for people of color within the military. Are there other key findings you want to even give a little overview to that people can look into when they uh, look at the full report? I know there's a lot, so I don't, I don't, it's a hard question, right? It's the hardest question of the day. <laughs> question of the day. So because this was a comprehensive needs assessment, um, we looked at pretty much everything. I won't say everything, but we touch on all the big things. You can find things in there about military children of color, childcare, schools. You can find things in there about transitioning veterans. You'll find things in our report about the service member career progression, culture uh, conversation. You'll find things in there about post-secondary education and the student veteran experience and veteran employment and general finances and food insecurity. We've got caregiving and mental health and the whole health uh, access chapter in and of itself is fascinating if you really want to dig into some of the benefits of service. Um, of course, we all have universal health care and what, what that looks like and the effects of that. We've got, we look at every resource you can think of, um, and we have it broken out by various racial and ethnic groups. So really, we hope that this is a foundational piece of work for the entire space. And of course, we couldn't close it out without also looking at perceptions of safety in your community and law enforcement and all of that, because that is what started this work for us to begin with. So again, there's a little bit of everything in there and, and we hope that your listeners, so we, if you're listening to this, please, please go check it out and email us uh, if you have questions. Absolutely. And um, you mentioned in the beginning that you have periods of, or there's messages of hope as well. And so I would love to, we're going to put all of the links to the resources in, in the show notes. So if you do want to deep dive, you can definitely click in and, and link to that. But I want to close with that. You know, what are, what is the hopeful message that you can offer? And it doesn't have to be hundred percent sugarcoated because you know, it's not, that's just not how life goes, but you know, how can we, we look at that, that hopeful message? Military service has a lot of benefits for families of color, especially, I know we talked some about military spouse employment, but especially when you look at finances and perceptions of our community regarding their health care, their finances, their children's schooling, all of those things compared to family and friends who come from like a similar racial or ethnic background there are benefits of service that they perceive for themselves. And the overwhelming majority of our service members report very positive experiences of their time in service. Um, and so while there are a lot of things in here that you're like, man, we really have to dig in and fix this. There's also a lot in here that we can share in our communities uh, because we all come from different backgrounds in the military. And we're all here together um, in ways that, may not be possible in other parts of the country or in certain parts of the country. So I think we can bring that to the conversation nationwide as well. Rosie, what do you think? 
Well, that's really good. Uh, it's like my answer completely. No, I think I uh, agree 100%. There is absolutely a lot of positive messaging for both, you know, for all military families and even military families of color. But there is absolutely opportunity to grow, opportunity to do more, to be better. And certainly that's kind of why this effort came about. And certainly, hopefully, that's the message that communities, military leaders, employers, everybody kind of takes with it. It's, it's how can we do more together better, right? So there is absolutely a lot that, that as Jenny mentioned, there's, it's a very comprehensive uh, report, but I also feel that there is a message out there in every aspect of military service and, and, and then certainly for, for all the various stakeholders out there. Well, thank you both for joining and, and, you know, just finding your identity, you know, in some way, shape or form within the military, everyone finds that, but being able to be hundred percent yourself, you know, kind of the message we want folks within our community and partners in promise with neurodiversity, we want everyone to feel that they can be themselves. And, and thank you so much for doing this, this deep dive into understanding the diverse experiences of military and veteran families of color. That's, it's going to be a really groundbreaking report. I cannot wait to fully deep dive into it. And so thank you so much for meeting today. Um, don't forget to subscribe and thank you so much for joining uh, Disruptive Storytelling. Do you want to help us tell more disruptive stories? Consider sponsoring an episode of the podcast. To learn more or ask questions, email info at partnersinpromise.org or connect with us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe today.